Teaching Abroad Pod with James Davis. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for joining us on this, the 24th edition of the Teaching Abroad Pod, coming at you on March 9th. I'm your host, James Davis, and joining me today is my co-host, Rowan, from Oxford Seminars' Job Placement Service. Rowan, how are you? Doing great, James. How are you? I am wonderful, and I'm very excited uh, to speak to our guest this week, uh, Truett, who's a graduate of Oxford Seminars' course, because he has taught in Vietnam and Korea, two of my favorite countries. Yeah, he was teaching in Vietnam for about the last four years, I think. If I recall, you had been to Vietnam yourself. What were some of your highlights of traveling through Vietnam? Uh, Yeah, I I was lucky enough to go twice. If you put a gun to my head, the number one thing is Halong Bay. It's often people's number one thing, but it's just stunning. Each time I went on a boat, stayed on a boat, got to travel through the islands, do some fishing, uh, visit some beaches, Um, you know check out some caves it's just the most stunning place you'll ever visit so were you going like spelunking or something I am not into that I think you can I'm sure you can but uh, that is not for me I wouldn't even know where to start but maybe our guest can can touch on that a little bit if I'm ever in Vietnam I'll have to check it out yes everyone must go to Halong Bay that is today's command um, before we do talk to Truett, uh, we're just going to have a quick word from our sponsor. With Oxford Seminars, starting your new career teaching ESL couldn't be easier. Oxford Seminars has trained more than 70,000 teachers over the past 20 years, and you could be next. Their comprehensive 120-hour program starts with live instruction from an experienced ESL teacher, followed by convenient online modules. If your goal is to relocate overseas or even teach from the comfort of your own home, Oxford Seminars' renowned lifetime job placement service will get you where you want to be. Right now, you can get $50 off your Oxford Seminars TESOL TASOL TAFL course price when paying in full by calling 1-800-779-1779 and giving the code TEACHINGABROADPOD. Visit OxfordSeminars.com today to find out more. And we are back, listeners, and we are ha- very happy to be joined by Truett Abanek, who taught in Korean Hagwons for two years before moving on to the public school sector in Vietnam, where he taught for four years. Uh, Truett is an alumnus of the College of Charleston with a bachelor's degree in political science. Uh, Truett is now back to school to earn his North Carolina state teaching license before heading back out into the world of international school teaching. Uh, Truett, welcome to the podcast. Very good. Glad to be here. The the first thing we, we want to get in, uh, into, Truett, is um, reverse culture shock. So, you know, you've been back in the States for a few months now. How's that adjustment been? Uh, it's, it's tough. And I'd say it's, it's harder than regular culture shock. And I've done it twice now because between Korea and Vietnam, I came home for about six months. So uh, I've done this twice both ways. And reverse culture shock, I think, is more difficult because of the way you look, you're expected to fit in. Like when you go to Asia and you're like not fitting in, people are like, oh, it's cool. This is a white guy. He's not supposed to fit in. But when you're back in America and you're just being awkward or you forget about tipping, people are like, what is wrong with you? You're like from here. It's it's a different kind of pressure that I don't really enjoy. I like the cultural free pass that you get in culture shock. It's like, 
whoops, I'm not from here. And you can just kind of get away with stuff. That's part of the fun for me. The two hardest things I would say coming back home are money. Things are expensive here in the West. And it's like a shock how expensive things can be and tipping. The other thing would be just understanding what everybody says. Like when you're abroad, you can just sit down and you're kind of in this bubble and you can think more clearly. And when you go out in uh, like a restaurant here, you just understand what everyone's saying around you. And after four years of not being able to understand what people are saying around you to intimately hearing what this person behind you is talking about, it's, it just suddenly seems very distracting. So those, that, those were the, that's the thing that hits you right away. I mean, you're just standing in the airport and suddenly everybody around you, you know what they're saying and it, it hits you. So um, I taught in Korea myself and I've got a lot of good memories about it, obviously, a beautiful country. And um, so many of my good memories are just about the food, about going out and eating. It's such a, an eating out culture in my experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, Korean fried chicken, pork bone soup, all, you know, the list goes on and on. Do you absolutely are you able to get Korean food where you're where you are now? I mean, anyone who's traveled and you'll probably agree with me will tell you that like the way Koreans do Korean food and the way Americans do American food is different. Like Chinese food in America isn't like food in China and it's like that everywhere. So, I mean, yes, but it's not the same. And sometimes it's like, oh, I like I was in Vegas and I found this really authentic Korean restaurant and I had kimchi and that was pretty close. But I was like, oh, it's just not it's just not the same. Food is definitely a big thing, especially in, in Korea, uh, where it's such a distinct cuisine flavor. I found that in Thailand, too. Thailand has such a like, oh, Thai food really sticks with you and is really powerful. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you have any recommendations, I guess, for anyone who's asking about what they should get at a Korean restaurant or a Vietnamese restaurant? Oh, well, um, I'm a vegetarian, so that really changes what I would necessarily recommend um no uh, grilled pork for you then <laughs> i tried that when i was in korea i was on my way to becoming a vegetarian but all throughout vietnam i was a vegetarian i mean in general just ask the people you're with like ask your korean friends your vietnamese friends and they'll put you in the direction because they they kind of know and especially if you're teaching abroad you've already probably got this adventurous spirit so i say lean into it and, and try everything one thing i did appreciate in america it's, uh, it's very tough to be a vegetarian but for anyone who's listening who is a vegetarian, it's exceedingly easy abroad, especially in Asia, because of the Buddhist influence. Buddhists don't eat meat. And so like here in America, you say I'm a vegetarian. They're like, yeah, OK, whatever, dude. But abroad, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we understand that. And there are so many restaurants that are specifically catered to it. Uh, and I really enjoyed that aspect about the food and the culture, especially in Asia. So for uh, pho, or I guess as my sister would have told me, who taught in Vietnam, the pho. Yeah, uh, you, you wiggle it, it's pho. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there a good yeah. vegetarian, uh, you know, with a broth that you don't have to worry about? Yeah, pho is basically uh, the noodle. There's a couple different kind of noodles, but that's the, that's the big one. Uh, yeah, I mean, pho is, pho is a way of life in Vietnam. That's, it's everywhere, yeah. I guess uh, alongside food, um, are there any spots or highlights in Gwangju or, or Hanoi? We'll jump all over the place that, sure. that people should check out. Uh, well, in Gwangju, for me in Asia, I really enjoyed going to the temples. Uh, mm -hmm. And Gwangju is really, I picked Gwangju because it's off the beaten path. For those that don't know, it's the in Korea, it's the big city that no one goes to that you've probably never heard of. 
but I think it's like the fourth largest city in Korea. It's really big, but, but no one goes there. And Seoul was a kind of scary for me and just cause it's so big and Korea is so big that, I mean, you can travel, you can drive across Korea in a car in four hours. So, I mean, you, you go to Seoul for a weekend to hang out if you want. So I enjoyed being away from everything. You can drive to the Southern Peninsula very quickly and there are lots of nice temples and stuff. In Hanoi, um, we talked a little bit the other day, Rowan, about Haolong Bay. Haolong Bay is fantastic. Um, I think it's one of the conservatory national wonders of the world or something. It's an unbelievable thing. It looks like something out of a Minecraft game. I am a climber and it's one of the handful places in the world. You can go deep water soloing, which is where you climb with no gear and you just fall into the ocean because the cliffs are right on the ocean. Uh, that was a fantastic experience. Uh, a really, a really, really cool thing that I highly recommend going there and just even if you don't climb. Uh, in the north, there's Sapa, which is like the terraced rice fields. That was fantastic. You know, rent a motorbike and just go driving around Sapa, do the Hazong Loop. That was amazing. Absolutely. Those are those are must recommends if you're if you're around Hanoi. They're all pretty close. And what about uh, for Korea? You touched on, on Gwangju a bit in the mm -hmm. temples. Is there any other locations within Korea you tell people they really should see? Well, as a political science major, I had to go to the DMZ. Uh, it wasn't like, wow. I mean, it's just a, it's just like a place in a wall, but like as a political scientist, I found it very interesting. There's really no place like it in the world in general, just go to Seoul. It's the largest, if, if not in the top three, depending on how you count it city on the planet and Seoul is, it's just a, it's an amazing place. I mean, you can't go just walk around, just get lost, go on the subway. Uh, the subway is so organized for such an intricate system. Seoul in itself is a is a fantastic experience in its own right. Um, just with, uh, I'm just trying to think of places around Gwangju. One of my favorite spots was uh, Walchulsan, uh, the the mountain and the hiking around kind of south of Gwangju. And sure. So if you, alongside visiting the temples, where you where you're big into hiking when you're in Korea. You kind of have to be. Uh, yeah. They joke that like hiking is the national sport because. Koreans go pretty hard on hiking. They love to wear the gear. They all got their gear. And like, I've seen Koreans like hike with like portable grills and they bust them out and they grill at lunch and you drink whenever you get to the top, they're going to pour out some makgeolli and you're going to have a drink. And I've met so many just strangers on hikes because everyone's very friendly. It's hard not to. I think it's like 70% mountains in Korea. I mean, if we're in the South and we're talking about stuff like that, I mean, Jeju is a really cool thing to go do. I mean, it, it's like the Hawaii of Korea. Um, it's a big volcano. It, it's cool. There's lots of interesting stuff. All the beaches. Or oh, what's the what's the beach city? Busan. Busan. That's it. Yeah. So in like in Korea, um, I guess kind of like England, a lot of the beaches aren't great. They're like kind of rocky and cliff and stony. Busan's definitely a place to check out. Busan's like the second biggest city, and it's it's really cool. It's a big city, but it's not so intense and metropolitan. And it's a bit more laid back as the South tends to be. And what's so cool is that, I mean, like I said earlier, Korea is so small. I mean, in the, the train system, they have the bullet train. I mean, like three hours, you can get from any place to any place. And, you know, on your weekends off, exploring Korea is very, very easy and fast and cost efficient. That's something we're always telling our, uh, we're always telling our, our course graduates. We're like, oh, I only want to teach in Seoul or I only want to teach in Busan. You know, Korea is so small. You could live in, you know, next to a rice paddy, but still be in a major metropolitan 
center on the bus within you know 20 minutes probably absolutely and as an introvert that's the way i like it i can just chill at home and it's quiet because most of the time that's what i want but when i want to be social and go out and shop or party it's it's there you just you can just go do it and yeah oh uh, yeah on a similar theme i just think that that you said uh, uh guangzhou is kind of a little bit underrated but it's a perfect spot kind of right in the middle you can get anywhere within a few hours when i was in in Korea, I was a few hours away from Guangzhou, but I feel like uh, I met a, a bunch of people who lived there and the, the expat community in Guangzhou was very strong. I thought it, oh, uh, yeah. it had a, good, a great vibe. Uh, some oh, cities, yeah. some cities, they're too big, and it, but uh, Guangzhou, it felt kind of like a, a nice environment. Yes, there were so many uh, expats that like owned bars or owned businesses. And it was it was really cool. I would say it's like 10 times like that in Hanoi, the expat community yeah. in Hanoi. Uh, and anyone who's ever lived there will tell you it's it's like magic. It's very, very it's a special place where like these creative people come together in this non-judgmental way. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. That's how I kind of got sucked in because I was always of the disposition to two, three years tops, move around a lot. But I just became such an integral part of the community and they make space for everyone there. Like no matter what you're into, I, I found Super Smash Brothers clubs and I was playing that and I was making dream catchers and there was ways for me to do dream catcher workshops. And uh, I'm, my, I have a minor in philosophy and I love philosophy and me and my friend, we made this philosophy club and I ran that for a while where we would give, it was like Ted talks at a bar that we would put on for people. And like, no matter what you're into, you can find your niche and it's very like open and accepting. Wow. So you're really way. involved in the, in the community in Hanoi. Yeah. Yeah. It's special. And I think that's specific to Hanoi because I've, I've been to Saigon and all the major cities and um, Hanoi is special like that because a big part of me wanted to move to the beach constantly. Like, oh, I'm going to move to Da Nang. I'm going to go to the beach. But Hanoi just kind of had had my heartstrings. It's, it's really nice there. During the pandemic, did, did that affect things like you, the, the community or is that something you could lean on? Well, I mean, the pan pandemic affected everything as it did. Vietnam was kind of special because I was there. I guess it was more of the focal front of what was going on. But Vietnam kind of like skipped that whole first year we had like no deaths and like 30 cases like we kind of just locked down and were isolated and we're chilling which was kind of strange because hanoi is closer to wuhan than wuhan is to beijing like we were right there and i was like okay things are about to go crazy but no it was really chill i mean we taught normally uh for the first year and then eventually things soaked in but yes the community uh, was amazing. I worked for the public school system. And if we didn't work, we by default got uh, like a minimum wage from the government. They just paid us, uh, which was amazing. My landlord came to me and told me that I was going to get a discount on my rent because we were in this together. Uh, and it was just stuff like that. Then in America is just a laughable joke. Like none of that would happen in America because no one's really looking out for anybody in that same way here. And so many of my friends left and they were like, we're going back to the West because this is about to get bad. And I said, you know what, I'm going to ride it out because it's cheap here. And, you know, where else would I rather be? And it ended up being one of the best decisions to, to stay and to just hang out. Uh, and the community was definitely a big, a big, big part of that. So it sounds like here they got to experience that communal society as opposed to the more individualistic society we, we get back here. 
all throughout Asia, I mean, that's how it is. You, you I mean, a lot of times you go out, you don't order for yourself. Everybody orders together and you put it in the middle. Yeah, like I lived in a house that was like seven floors and each floor was its own apartment. But the family that owned the house, the building lived on the second and third floor. And like I was a part of, you know, the family. I would hang out with them and, you know, because you're in the building. It's their house, too. You leave the front door unlocked. That's their front gate that also got unlocked. I guess getting back to your your teaching life, um, hmm. what what ages and levels did you most enjoy teaching and why? So I've been doing this for six years. And so I've taught from six to 60. In Korea, I did adult conversation for a year. And that was really cool because you can talk to people. Uh, what sucks about teaching adults for me was the split shift. You work in the morning and then you have the middle of the day off and then you work in the evening, which can be a drag because you're always about to go to work. But teaching adults was nice. I'm not really geared towards the younger kids. I tried that. Some people love it. Uh, so I was doing middle school and I really liked middle school. It seemed like kind of the perfect storm of like, we can hang out and we can draw pictures and I can just dance and sing a song and you'll laugh. And but also we can talk about like you're starting to form your own personality and you're having conflicts with your parents. You don't really know how to resolve them and like stuff like that. And we would sit down and have real conversations, especially when you're an ESL teacher, because you they they're not worried about you talking to their parents. Their parents don't speak English. So they're like, there's no way you can tell them. It's so there's such a confidence in the middle grades. You get a lot of that because they're young and they're looking for mentors where the younger kids don't at all and the adults well they're already kind of adults and they're not going to come to me for that kind of stuff so yeah I like the middle grades high school middle school are, are perfect that's a good I perspective think, I, I think my middle school classes were my favorite as well you can get into conversations about you know climate change or recycling systems or like just topics that may be interesting to to me as an adult as well as yeah, opposed to absolutely. just singing uh you know head and shoulders knees and toes and whatnot yeah, I want to, I mean, and there's no, no shame either way, but I always say I'm, I'm not a babysitter. Like I want to educate, uh, especially in Hanoi, the elementary demographic is much larger. So most of my friends were teaching young kids and they loved it. Uh, it's just not for me. So that's something to consider if you're about to enter in the ESL world is like, what is your style? Like in Korea, I didn't know. And I was thrown into some four-year-old, six-year-old classes and I was questioning my career choice. And it was just a matter of the wrong age group. So you got to find your right demographic and your right fit. How would you uh, say the experience uh, impacted your career path on that note? What made you decide to go back to school? Well, uh, I mean, in, in a word, money. Um, I, in, in a larger word, I want to make this a career. I wanted to travel, but I didn't want to join the military. And I heard about teaching abroad. So I was like, yeah, let's give this a shot. I got teachers in my family. I can do it. It'll be fun. And then now I've done it for six years and it's become a career. But in America, I'm not a real teacher because I don't have my teacher certification, even though I've taught. But the teacher certification program, they make it very accessible because there's a shortage of teachers in the West and in the world. And so I'm getting that done to solidify my career path and just open more income opportunities. Like if you want to do this long term, you need to look more competitive and that's how you get better jobs. And that's how you get the international school jobs, which are really where you can make really good money. Uh, so, I mean, that is a big part of why I'm doing this, just locking in my career path and uh, open, opening up my salary. 
That's a good point. I mean, the Oxford Seminars TESOL certificate is really great and very useful for language schools and a lot of public school programs. And even in America, a lot of language schools uh, hire our course graduates. But if you want to get into the American public school system or a lot of the really high tier international schools abroad, that state teaching credential is a really valuable asset. Yeah, like so the ESL certificate from Oxford is uh, low risk, high reward, like it doesn't take long. It's not a big financial investment and it opens a ton of doors. And that's how I saw it. I was like, you know, why not? Let's just do it. I can I can invest in this program. I can take it. It doesn't take long. And if I don't like it, I, I got to go to another country and I'll just do something else with my life. It's like no risk. But now that I know I do like it, then I got to up. You got to up your credentials. Yeah. So I'm just curious on a completely different note, uh, now that you're back and you've kind of reintegrated into your old life a little bit, how would you say your life is different from your old friends back home as compared to, you know, how you are as a person now post expat life? Oh man, that's a big question. Well, I live in a really small town now and I'm living at home to save rent. So now I'm in rural North Carolina. uh, And I was in a city of 10 million people. So it has changed a lot. I guess the, the general relatively quick answer would be, you know, travel changes you. It's the great teacher. You get to see things from a different perspective that I think, especially in North America, you're really lacking. I think that's one of the things that has polarized America and, and North America, I guess, is that we don't really have any neighbors that are very different, where if you grow up in Europe, or you've traveled right next door, you've got different language, different culture, different food. And you realize that there's so many uh, acceptable ways to live and that everybody can kind of teach somebody something. And it's not this my way or the highway kind of thing. So coming home is weird because Americans don't always see that. And it's kind of frustrating. It's different. And <laughs> it's making me want to go back. Like, I like it. Like, I'm, I'm really hooked. I want to get back out there. When you travel, there's like this this spirit and this open-mindedness that comes with, I want to move somewhere for the fun, for the challenge. I don't know anybody. I don't speak the language. And all I got is what's on my back. Let's go. This is fun. And when you're back home, it doesn't work like that because everybody's different and that's fine, but it's just much, much harder to integrate. Also, like all of my friends were teachers. So it's like if you go out and everyone has the same profession as you, well, you always can talk about that. So you'd think it'd be harder to make friends abroad, but it's really not. It's the opposite. Like I do stupid stuff. Like I ask people where they're from when I'm here, which when you travel as a normal country, like, well, where are you from, man? And I did it the other day. And this girl looked at me like, what do you mean I'm from here? Like, it was just so stupid. You know, you, you get caught up in it because I've been abroad so long. Uh, so it's definitely... It's definitely different. Uh, kind of harking back to what you're talking about, about get, getting back out there again. We're hoping that 2022 is going to be the year where things open up, people can travel again. What's your long-term goal? Are you going back to Vietnam? Are there other countries that you've been to that you want to go back to? Well, I am still somewhat interested in Vietnam. I was just talking to some of my friends about this the other day. I would go back to Vietnam. Maybe I'd want to go back to a different city because I want to keep moving. Long term, I'd like a real job, real job, maybe at an international school. I'm, I'm looking all over the place. Like I'm, I'm interested in, in, in the Middle East. I'm interested in Turkey. I'm interested in South America. I'm interested in all kinds of places. And for me, I, 
just want to get back out there. I, I miss the adventure. Like I said, all this stuff I've kind of talked about how it's different when you're in your own country versus being abroad. And also, yeah, things are cooling off. Hopefully we're going back to normal. I felt like this is a perfect time to maybe hunker down and get my credentials together. And then, yeah, just get back out there and, and keep doing it. Yeah. I guess uh, I'll ask this because Rowan can't, but, you know, is it nice to have someone like Rowan to bounce this stuff off of? Having taken the Oxford Seminars course, mm-hmm. you have access to job placement services, advisors like Rowan. Oh, man. Yeah, big, big time. That was one of the reasons why I um, went with Oxford Seminars for because of the lifetime assistance. Just having somebody to talk to, uh, I use that a lot. Almost every time I come home, I'm like, hey, what's up? What do you know? Who are your contacts? Uh, and that lasts forever. And that is very valuable, very useful because... I mean, you think, you know, and I, I, I know something about teaching abroad, but I don't necessarily know about teaching at this place. And it's so different and the rules are so different and the situation is so different. And that like hub of a network is, I would say, pretty crucial and pretty viable. And it was absolutely one of the main reasons that Oxford really shone through to me. I was like, wow, you guys are going to support me like forever. OK, that sounds good. You know, on the travel front, we talked about your travel experiences in Korea, in Vietnam. You said you went to Thailand. Uh, were there any other places you you traveled to while you were teaching in Asia? Uh, actually, surprisingly, no. And a lot of people did. Um, I had tons of friends who were like every three day weekend, everything we could do, they'd be out on some expedition. And I spent a lot of time in Thailand because uh, it's Thailand and it's amazing and for the beaches and the climbing because I'm a climber and there's some really awesome climbing there. Um, I travel a lot domestically. That was kind of more my style. Uh, it saved money and time. So I like went everywhere in Korea and I would travel. I've been everywhere in Vietnam in four years and I had my spots and I'd go back there. Even in a tiny country like Korea, there's just so many towns and cities and things to do. It's a good point. I mean, there's so much to see within the country itself. So many people probably go, you know, they're off to Philippines and Malaysia and Myanmar and whatnot, but they're missing out on 99% of what there is to see in the own, their own country. And it's faster and cheaper. It's just right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I felt. Kurt, before we let you go, we do have uh, one more question for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a question we like to ask every guest, whether you have any advice or words of encouragement someone who's on the fence about teaching overseas, you know, taking that brave step that, that you did? Yeah, I mean, in general, just, I mean, go for it. It's almost like win-win. Like, even if you don't dig it, it's just for a year most of the time, and you get to go to another country, and you've learned what you don't like doing. And it'd be hard not to walk away from going abroad and not learning something about yourself and the world. Go for it. Just go, go for it. I, I tell all my friends this because Americans are always like, oh, I wish I could travel. I'm like, well, let me show you the way I did it. You don't have to become a teacher to enjoy going and teaching abroad for a year. I mean, it's fantastic. And you might actually get hooked and want to teach. Just be brave. If fortune favors the bold and all that. Awesome. It's wonderful. Um, so thank you so much uh, for your time and your uh, wonderful responses today. Truett. We really appreciate having you on the podcast. Absolutely. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks again to Truett for taking the time to speak to us today. Rowan, before we let the good 
listeners go? Do you have a JPS update for us? Absolutely. We got some great news from one of our contacts in Vietnam recently that um, from March 15th, it's going to get a lot easier to go there. So that's great news for anyone looking to go teach in Vietnam this year. Um, unfortunately, it has been a TESOL market that was relatively closed to new foreign teachers over the last couple of years. So that's really exciting that it's going to be opening back up. For anyone with Vietnam on the bucket list, start preparing your applications. Uh, we in job placement work with both language schools that have branches all over Vietnam, as well as international schools in the Hanoi area. And the language schools hire year round as positions open up practically monthly. So that's a really good place to look for people who are looking to go sooner than later. And then the international schools are now interviewing for the school year start in August, and they prefer candidates who have a degree majoring in the subject being taught. For example, English language arts, math, science, social sciences, such as history, literature, things like that. And they also want candidates with at least two years of previous verifiable classroom teaching experience. So it's a great option for people coming back, you know, for their second, third, fourth placement and they're really looking to get into the international school scene. So I guess my main message is Oxford Seminars grads, reach out to your job placement advisor to find out more about where you can teach in Vietnam. Wonderful, thank you so much Ryan for that update. Uh, thanks again to Truett for being a wonderful guest and thank you listener for tuning in to the Teaching Abroad pod. Uh, we will be releasing new episodes every other Wednesday. So be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss one. Um, if you like it, let your friends know. People can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere. If you have any questions, comments, uh, or any guest suggestions, please reach out to us. Uh, leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at Oxford Seminars, or reach out to us directly via email. The address is teachingabroadpod at oxfordseminars.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day.